Good morning, everyone. Our What's Holding You Back January Writing Challenge officially launches tomorrow, but I wanted to give everyone a little bonus interview of author Michael Lowenthal, who speaks about how he uses spitballing in his creative writing classes at Leslie University. The interview is what sparked my idea for this month's writing challenge, so take a listen. You still have a time to register for the live webinar beginning tomorrow at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, or you can watch and listen to the recordings on our Substack page, or on your favorite podcast venue. Subscribe to our page for updates. And there's still time to send your voice recordings detailing what is personally holding you back from your writing. See our Substack page or the podcast notes for this episode for details. I'm going to shut up now and get us to Michael's interview. For all of you who are awake or sleep or somewhere in between, happy writing. Welcome to a bonus episode of the 7am Novelist Podcast. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Good morning, everyone. Today, we're talking about the idea of spitballing with author and professor of creative writing, Michael Lowenthal. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on the show. Michael Lowenthal is the author of four novels, The Same Embrace, Avoidance, Charity Girl, which was a New York Times book review editor's choice and a Washington Post top fiction of 2007 pick and the paternity test, an indie next selection and a Lambda Literary Award finalist. His first short story collection, Sex with Strangers, was published in March of 2021. Uh, Michael lives in Boston, and since 2003, he's been a faculty member of the Low Residency MFA program at Lesley University. Okay, so I was excited to bring Michael on. I've known him for several years, and he's uh, worked with a lot of our students as a second reader of, of their novels. And um, he was he was interested in the idea of talking about spitballing. So the idea of spitballing, that's the word I'm saying, if you can't understand me, um, now, generally, offering prescriptive, uh, prescriptive advice, such as specific ways that a writer might be able to fix a problem in their writing is frowned upon in writing workshops, particularly when that advice is forced on a writer, like you need to do this, um, and is too single-sided or, or there's weird power dynamics at play. But spitballing is a little different. To me, spitballing is about opening up to all sorts of ideas and solutions and ways forward um, as a way to open up the author's own thinking about what they might be able to do next. It's a term that comes from the screenwriting world of television and film, and though it can be equally problematic there, and I know some people that have gone through that world and have left only slightly traumatized, um, but they have brought forward the idea of spitballing and still believe in it. It's a natural process, uh, natural part of the process of that world. Um, that's how I think of it and how I define it. But Michael, you might come at it from a different direction because you like to use it in your MFA level classes as a way to, to advance the creative writing discussion. So how do you use it? Yeah, well, first, um, I think uh, listening to you say slowly the word spitballing, spit I was thinking about just how gross a word it is. And so yeah. I would like to challenge anybody uh, listening to this um, to try to come up with a better term that we fiction folks can use, and then we'll try to rebrand that. Right. Um, and I, I think you're, you're right. I'll just back up a bit that you say that it, um, it's sort of frowned upon to give prescriptive advice. I've always resisted that myself in workshop, uh, res resisted the frowned upon part. I yeah, should me too. clarify. 
you know, people have a tendency to say, even when they want to give advice, they say, well, far be it from me to, you know, tell you how to write your story. But, and I sort of dispense with all that. And I say, listen, I'm going to give you one possible solution. What if you change the point of view from first person to third person? Or what if you set this in 1900 instead of 1983? And obviously the writer doesn't have to take that advice. But I think for myself as a writer, I respond best to concrete suggestions that then I can either react with or against. So I tell my workshoppers to, you know, don't apologize for giving advice to a writer. You're being generous in giving, as long as that's as long as the spirit is generous. Yeah. And so for me, the spitballing is a little bit of an extension of that. Um, on one level, the reason I like to do it is because, um, well, a couple of things. One, um, fiction writing is just so, are we allowed to swear? I guess yeah, I don't know. If allowed it's to so swear. fucking lonely, right? <laughs> yes. It's just us in our rooms, testing our ideas against our own brain and it drives me crazy and I look at the screenwriting world the tv world clearly with rose-colored glasses because as you said it has its own problems I think like they get to sit in a room and talk about stuff and say that's a great idea okay oh that makes me think of x y and z they apparently get to spit balls at each other or something so so partly for my mfa students I just said you know I wanted to find a way to um erode that loneliness and feel like we're all in the same team um and also there's a there's a process by which um by the time you bring a story to workshop you've already had to commit so much and you know poets would probably argue against this but this you know a, a poet could work quickly on a draft of a poem and just throw it down on the page and bring it to workshop without that much at stake without much investment for a, for a fiction writer to bring a 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 word story to workshop, you've already had to commit to so much that if you've taken some wrong turns or missed some obvious opportunities, it can just be so frustrating. So I do this class with my MFA folks where before they've put something all the way down on the page, we spitball all these ideas um, so that they can then go into it sort of more energized and less frustrated. Now that there are risks of that too, which we can get to, but so that's um, maybe that's a good starting point. Yeah. Right? I mean, cause so in workshops, it's also um, where people seem to get the most excited when they start to begin to riff off ideas um, and, and to, to crush that excitement. And again, it can be overwhelming to the writer and some of it can be like, okay, I'm not going to include a bear in my story. That's not gonna happen. That's not my story. So um you, so you also want to be, you know, responsible for that, like taking the discussion way away from the manuscript itself and turning the manuscript too much into your own manuscript. Um, but that kind of excitement, I don't like to look the you know, squash. And then also getting the writer used to pushing back on some of those ideas because they're gonna have to do that with their agents, with their editors, with readers, with all sorts of things. So that might help help to um, find the lines that they're willing to cross or not, um, and possibly even see their work in different way in opposition to the bear that someone else wants to yeah. have happen. You know, I think this character needs to be involved by a bear. No, that's not my book. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so, and you have a certain process that you follow and, and yours are, again, yours are, you're working at the MFA level. 
Um, and do, do, do students respond well to that process? Do they like it? How, how do you kind of introduce it into the class? Yeah, they, they seem to respond really well. And I mean, it's sort of funny. I'll, I'll say that in the program that I teach in at Lesley University, every faculty member is responsible for at, at least one craft seminar per residency. And sometimes we do two or three. And for a while, I felt really um, sort of self-conscious or guilty about um, what I call the story lab. That's my that's my version of yeah. um, spitballing because it's a little bit less gross. Um, and because my other seminars are all super rigorous and I assign 100 pages of reading and then we spend two hours going line by line through, you know, an Alice Monroe story and analyzing this and analyzing that. And I have all this prep work that I do. And then the, the story lab um, is really we get in a room and we just, you know, wing it. We just yeah. shoot the shit about stories. And I felt super self-conscious about that. That wasn't like MFA level rigorous enough. Well, it turns out that consistently the favorite seminar among my students that I ever do is always the story lab seminar. So they seem to really like the chance to, as I was saying, sort of to try out ideas before they get so formally yeah. tied to them. Um, and just to go back to a little of the, the other stuff we we're saying, um, I do always start with talking about some of the, the risks or the caveats, you know, sort of too many cooks spoil the broth. Um, and, and there's also just a risk of knowing too much about your own story while you're writing it, I think. Oh. So like there's this great um, uh, craft book by Robert uh, Boswell called The Half-Known World. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that idea of of only knowing half about what you're doing. There's there's a way in which, you know, especially sort of thematically, if you know what your own themes are, you know, I'm trying to show X, Y, and Z about society in this story. If you know that ahead of time, it almost inevitably kills the story. And I think that's the kind of stuff that it's good to figure out in revision. Maybe on the fourth draft, you you look at a story and you think, oh, this is really what I'm trying to say. So I should do this, that, and the other to bump it up. So I, right, I, because it becomes I, too abstract, it becomes too didactic, too didactic. Um, and um, and 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 it it's much better to pay, to pay attention to what's happening on the page and what what is coming yeah. alive on the page um, to pick that sort of thing up too. Um, I remember, gosh, who was it? It was, it was a famous local writer who said, "Why well, just put that stuff in for the grad students?" <laughs> <laughs> That's and so I was like, well, gosh, if she doesn't do that ahead of time, I'm not going to do that ahead of time. Um, but yes. Okay. So what are some other issues, some things that you warn against? Um, yeah. And so then, um, and I'm sure lots of um, writing workshops talk about this, especially these days, given some of the newer conversations that we're all involved with, but there's, you know, there's been this charge against writing workshops in general and MFA programs in particular that they, um, sort of funnel everybody towards the lowest common denominator or they sort of blandify yeah. storytelling and it's a big melting pot and we all coming out sounding the same. Now, I've never entirely bought that critique, but to the extent that it's true, I want everybody to know that that's a risk of getting everybody in a room and, and, and you know, putting a story through the hopper. So one thing, um, I might, might be getting a little bit ahead of myself talking about sort of the process we do, but um, I asked them to think about lots of questions about their stories, including sort of, you know, whose story, you know, 
conventional things like whose story do you think it is? What settings do you think are at? What setting couldn't the story live without? Um, you know, what what resonant central image or prop keeps coming back to you when you think about the story? Those those kinds of things. But then I also say I try to push in the direction of sort of what's the weirdest thing about your story so that we can hold on to that and not flatten it out. Right. Or so what's, what's the most you thing about the story or what's the thing about the story that if somebody told you to take it out, you would scream the loudest or, right. or so I, I try to get them to think about what the they really need to hold on to. Yeah. The non-negotiables. I have my students do that in a, in a, in an artist statement, I have them write an artist statement where otherwise I never refer to writers as artists because I think it sounds really pretentious and awful, but um, I make them do artist statements. And um, yeah, that that is that's hugely important, but I actually like the idea of what's the weirdest thing about your story? Um, because that basically is what makes it special or what makes it, yeah, what makes it you. So I like it turning turn it, it in that way. Wonderful, okay, what else? Well, and you said something before about, um... I can't remember how it cropped up, but problems, like fixing problems in, in a yeah. story. And um, and sometimes problems really are problems and we need to help um, offer ideas to, to fix things. But um, two ways I try to sort of get, get away from that. One is to, um, to posit to students that there's, there's never a right or wrong. There's never a problem and a fix exactly. There are just opportunities I mean, that's sort of a probably a writing workshop banality cliche, but um, I I have I this silly device where I say it's like the the drama meter, you know, like getting more dramatic, less dramatic. Right. And so with each choice, I, I I sort of encourage them to think about a whole series of choices: first person versus third person, set it inside a sauna versus set it on a um, field hockey field. Uh, whatever whatever it is put it including a bear mauling or have a little kitten or whatever um, <laughs> the, kitten I say, maul, the kitten mauling the person not being mauled okay yeah i like i like that we'll go with that <laughs> uh, and in each case i encourage them to think not okay this is a problem and this is a solution but which moves the dramatic needle a little bit farther it's sort of like are you getting warm or are you getting cold and then to and then to try to game it out, okay, well, if you do that one choice, then what other choices does that open up versus does it close things down? Um, right. Try to try to always go toward, towards the opening. Um, and then the other thing in terms of identifying a problem, um, this is my sort of most basic writing advice always, but it's, um, uh, did you, I don't know if you took the same kind of driver's ed class that I did, way back in 1907 or whenever it was that you and I were teenagers yeah. when they still had, you know, cars and things like that. Now, now we just drive in Elon Musk spaceships, I think, or yeah. something. But no, anyway, Mr. Munch, Mr. Munch was my driver's ed teacher. And he was very, he, he as a person was very frightening. He was like an Edward Gorey uh, character. Um, and then of course we got all the bloody uh, pictures of car accidents. So that oh, was- Well, I'm, I'm sure he's very proud of how you've yeah. turned out. Um, anyway, in our- in I don't our drive, ed, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In our driver's ed, they said that, you know, if you're going driving in the winter and you hit a patch of ice and your car starts to skid out, you know, the instinctive thing to do is to 
yank the wheel back and try to straighten out that way. But actually the correct way to save yourself is to quote unquote, steer into the skid. Yeah. And then you regain your tires that way. And then you can slowly, you know, steer back. And so when something is a, seems to be a problem in a story or seems too weird or just too whatever, um, I always say, let's investigate what it would mean to steer into the skid in this case. And maybe that's your way through. And I mean, it's not a perfect example, but a little example from my own life. Um, my second novel, Avoidance, is admittedly the sort of weird mashup where half of it takes place at a boy's summer camp in Vermont and um, half of it takes place, or not half of it, but part of it takes place um, um, on a farm, an Amish farm in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And the part of the story is about teenage uh, or sexual abuse of, of boys. The other story is about religious theology and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I understood as I was writing it that it, those two things might not seem like an obvious fit. Well, anyway, long story short, my agent was sending it out and a bunch of editors came to me with like, wow, this summer camp story is um, really interesting. I think it can make for a good novel. If you just cut out all that weird Amish religious stuff that doesn't belong at all. Mm. And so I was sort of contemplating, yeah, okay, I guess that makes sense. I guess that makes sense, but I don't know. It didn't feel right. And finally we came to an editor who similarly said, I don't think this novel is working the way it is, which is the message I had been getting before. She said, there's still something definitely out of balance here between the summer camp and the Amish. I think you really need to bump up the Amish stuff and really lean into that and more of that. And suddenly, you know, light bulbs went off and bingo. I was like, I know just how I'm going to revise this. And thank goodness she became um, my editor, the, the glorious Fiona McRae, who for years and years well, was the head yes. of Great Wolf Press. Um, I will uh, uh, yes, yes, yes. We're 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 gonna miss her. Um, I I love this idea of of yeah. You're you're going into what opens up the story instead of shutting down the story, or opens up the writer's imagination instead of shutting down the writer's imagination. Um, and steering into the skid. I love thinking of it that way too, because I think a lot of writers feel like they have to stay in their lane which basically means that they have to do what they're supposed to do or do what other people have done or what the professor tells them to do or what other stories have done. Um, so the fact that you had then an editor that said, let's do this, that must have been so freeing and so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I hope that what we convey to our students is that, I mean, what nothing is better as a reader than the thrill of the unexpected, right? So yeah. don't just give us what we're expecting from a story. And let's not plot this out the way every fairy tale is plotted out, you know, where you know exactly what the rise and the fall is going to be, whatever. And, you know, we all know the various classic story shapes, which are are useful to know, but, you know, like the whatever the check mark or something like what take yeah. us to the top of the check mark. And then what if it just kept going up, you know, or. <laughs> Or whatever it is, I think I think that's exciting. So um, those those are the, the the real foundations of what I try to do. In addition to, as I said, the more sort of conventional, you know, what's the point of no return in this story, and how close to that can we start? Um, okay. You know, there's, I often we often talk about you know starting here instead of here, and how that would change things, or ending here versus here, and how that would change things. Um, or, you know, just like um, what's the most key 
action that you know that you know the story has to hinge on again you said the non-negotiables i think that's a thing we come back to in every different category sort of yeah yeah Oh, yeah, this is wonderful. And a lot of these questions that you're offering to the workshop seems to be simply a way of describing the the uh, describing the story to the writer, uh, which I think is really the best workshop practice. And that's without critique or or lotting certain parts just describes what what is on the page? What do I see on the page that might be different than what others see on the page? It might be different from what the writer intends as well. And so then they can see when they're kind of not getting on the page what they had intended, but it's just different kind of angles of, of what's happening there. Um, and do your, so I oftentimes think that, and maybe you put the kibosh on this, but but when the workshop moves into those excited solutions, um, I generally say, well, okay, let's not get too excited here, but but, but again, some of those solutions might help you open up your thinking and just remember that someone else's solutions are not your solutions. Um, again, you might need to back up and think about, okay, is there a problem here that needs to be solved? Like, why, why are we talking about a solution and not, and not what the problem might be? And does the problem even exist? Um, or again, is it a skid that the writer needs to bend into more um, and, and can can follow more. So, so I, yeah, I absolutely love that. Do you sometimes have, do students sometimes resist certain parts of ways of doing this? Um, if anything, the thing that they resist a little bit is I, I ask everybody to come in with a hundred word maximum description of their story idea. And you know, for probably obvious reasons that they, that, that seems awful and terrifying a lot of the time, right. partly because it's so hard to summarize something in only a hundred words, but also partly because if they haven't written the story at all yet, committing any of it to paper when it's just a nebulous idea can seem terrifying. Like, you know, they just want to say like, well, I don't know. I sort of have this idea about this girl who's maybe she's, yeah, and they just, they don't really know. So I do push them to like, get that much down and that can be tough but then they they tend to be glad that they that they did that um because writers more, seem to think when they put something down in writing that it's set <laughs> right you know, this is constantly moving this is constantly changing you know luckily as writers we aren't painters that are going through canvas after canvas and and wasting a lot of money that way we can just hit delete we can just <laughs> change it and so words are constantly fluid and changeable so getting also used to that like well that idea doesn't work or that idea yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but even even trying to compress an idea down i do i find that people resist that too but you do that in order to just begin in the discussion right yeah because um i want you know if we have 10 people in the room or something i want everybody to be able to know what we're talking about and um, i used to just have people sort of pitch it in the room but now i have them write these things and we circulate them a few days ahead of time and that really helps the discussion um and helps um just in terms of time because i think we it depends on how many people we have in a given class but i mean i, I don't think we ever give more than about 15 minutes to each yeah. person, sometimes even less. And in a way that's, it, it doesn't sound like much, but it's sort of plenty because the idea is to just ally the group with this person and say like, we're your team. Yeah. You get to borrow our brains and we all get to be on the same side. And we're just gonna try to 
inject you with this burst of possibility and energy and then send you off to go do your thing because it is your thing. I mean, at the end of the day, it, you are going to go back to your room alone because we're fiction writers, not screenwriters, TV yeah. writers. Um, but when you're in that room, we want you to have our voices ringing in your head saying, fuck, why not? You know, like, why not this? Why not that? Um, right. exactly. Rather than, oh, my God, I'm locked into this, you know, or I'm stuck, you know. Exactly. So if some of our listeners wanted to do this on their own, in their own small groups, um, or put something together like this, what what sort of advice would you give them about how to get started? Or would you have, can you can you help them out if they get if they get excited about this whole idea? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I won't claim that my own model is like the be all and the end all, but um, it seems to have worked well. So I, I would say, try to come up with a, a very brief pitch or description um, of what of what you think the story's sort of pr- basic parameters are, and then think through in your own mind some of those questions I was asking about. Um, what do you think it absolutely has to contain or couldn't survive without? Um, what is um, even if it seems really weird? What's something that you just just whenever you think about the story always floats through your mind i mean it, do you is it the image of a you know a green balloon stuck in a tree mm-hmm. or whatever it is even you know so I, in other words not necessarily some huge plot point like yeah you know um the mother is going to kick him out of the house or whatever you know something like that but just like some resonant image or plot or something because that's the kind of thing that if you say that to a group and then they they just it might open up their minds too and sort of latch on to some resonance that you're not even seeing yourself Mm -hmm. Um, and then for the group discussion like i said i use that the sort of the drama meter and and i try to um, encourage people to ask um questions less about like oh i like that or i don't like that in the room i think that can actually sort of shut things down because it gets into that sort of critique and success and failure but just to ask of each idea that gets pitched in the room, um, does that open things up? Does that give us more possibilities? Um, like in terms of, say, point of view, if you're if sometimes people often suggest, well, what if it's instead of telling it from this character's point of view, have you thought about telling it you know, from the daughter's point of view, not the mother's point of view? Mm-hmm. And rather than just like, um, oh, yeah, I like that. Or, oh, yeah, that could work. Try to try to interrogate why. So, you know, in terms of point of view, who has, who's keeping secrets and who is desperate to find out secrets Um, and how, how would that affect the dramatic needle of who we hear from and who we have access to that kind of thing. So um, in that that particular case, like, have you considered telling it from the daughter's point of view instead of the mother's point of view um, the discussion might take you back again to, okay, you've been using the mother's point of view. Are you, are you hitting roadblocks with this? Is there a problem with this? Why, why are we even considering using another point of view? What is going on? Um, so that you might not even need to change point of views, but you might need to, there might be something that you need to, um, take a hold of in the point of view that you're choosing that you haven't made use of yet. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And then, you know, I do think once you're all in the room, it's, useful to have some questions that are um, are sort of off the page too. Um, one of them, a simple one is, 
what terrifies you most about writing this story? You know, um, and it could be, you know, I'm terrified of failing. I'm terrified of not, you know, getting my vision on the page, but it might be something in the story. I'm terrified of writing the, the, what I think is the amount of violence that needs to be on this, this page or, or whatever the issue is. And I think that could, again, that could help the group support the writer and be that, that chorus of voices um, sort of cheering the writer on and saying like, either, you know, embrace that fear and go towards it, or maybe sometimes, yeah, you're right. That's maybe you should, maybe you can't go there or shouldn't go there. I don't know, whatever it is, but right. um, so, so, so yeah, we want to talk about ideas for character and point of view and image and entry point and all that, but, but maybe also back up and just talk about those fundamental things that, that I think get, um, those are the things that really get erased from regular writers workshops that I think we can embrace in a spitballing workshop. Cause in a regular workshop, you just, isn't there sort of the, the, the pretense that you like, you show up, here's this thing I did, you hand it to the group and you're like, this is my story. It's a story. Tell me, you know, tell me how to make it better or whatever. And we don't talk about like, it killed me to get this story onto the page or like, I don't think I can ever show this story to my family or yeah. um, like, what if I, what if I get canceled for writing this story because it goes to these third rail of, you know, race or ethnicity or gender or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I see the spitballing workshop as a, as a place to talk about all those process issues that we usually miss in a regular workshop. Cause we're, we're looking more at the, the product itself, like the actual page one to page, whatever, you know, right. within those, those borders. Oh, that, and that's so important because it's influencing what's going on with the writer anyway. And sometimes I have to, it takes several sessions for me to understand, oh, that's what's going on with this piece. That's, yeah. that's what, that's how this piece is veering this way away from something because the writer's afraid of something or, or afraid of, of certain yeah. feedback from it. Yeah. So going off of that, uh, 7am novice is going to try our own version of spitballing and we'll keep with that term until we even can find something better um so, i mean better that than ball spitting i would think is, but yeah to, yeah to each I, his own you know yeah let's please let's please stay with spitballing instead of ball spitting okay so we're going to try our own version you can send us questions in line with the following and so this is a little bit off of michael's last point so if you are having trouble with a story or novel idea and it's really gotten you stuck or forced you to put away in a drawer what is the biggest sticking point that you have in writing it? What is your biggest fear in getting it written? What is the aspect that made you give up on it or maybe keeping you from starting to write the story in the first place? And what are you worried that the biggest, the story's biggest failure might be? So I'll be putting these questions in the show notes and repeating them later, but you can send us your questions. Try to ask the question in less than a hundred words. Um, if, you, if you do more than that, it gets blurry and confusing and 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 it's we're too tired at 7 a.m in the morning to do more than 100 words so um again i'll be posting the questions in the show note show notes and if we get a lot of interest we'll do a lot of these um also you can find um over 80 episodes of the 7 a.m novelist podcast including our first 50-day writing challenge from this fall 
And the 31-day challenge we just finished in March at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can subscribe there for updates and take part in the discussion. You can also find the podcast version on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so more people can find us. So, Michael, are you going to be able to get some writing done today? Uh, Michelle, I sure hope so. Although, well, it all counts as writing, right? So I'm. It all counts as writing. My current task is to try to cut about 20% out of a really long essay. So my hope is that today I will remove many words. That is writing. That's that's, that's why I have a problem with writing by word count. Um, because what do you do with those days where you're actually excavating what you already have and you have to cut away from it? So that is because you're going to be refreshing. I call it reducing the sauce. Um, you're going to be you're making it new and, and finding out what, what is really there. So that's I, I think I think negative words should get to count double in your words. Yes. yes, I agree. Okay, let's start that. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Let's get you back to your writing desk. Have a happy writing day. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Great to talk.